What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. Welcome back to The Crossroads, a weekly financial show for our generation. And for the listeners, welcome back to The Long Game Podcast. This is the 18th episode, and I'm really excited for this one. We've got Caitlin Cook on today, or on today, or better known as Dead Kate Bounce. Um, she's head of community at OnRamp, leads with education at OnRamp Academy, a host of the Chicks of FinTwit podcast. And if you follow her on Twitter, you know she's a huge outside person. And we're going to dive into everything crypto education, why it's important, and hopefully talk a little bit about Twitter at some point. Um, but before we get into it, Caitlin, we appreciate you taking the time um, to come on. And if you don't mind, like, could you give the listeners just a quick little intro about yourself and what you're doing with OnRamp, OnRamp Academy to just kind of kick us off? For sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I know you both from Twitter and we were talking about this offline, but it felt like I already knew you. So nice to make the formal intro. Um, but as you mentioned, so I work with OnRamp Invest, an integration platform as a service, really just giving financial advisors education, access and tools on all things crypto and DeFi. Uh, very much a need right now with how fast the space is growing and all of the wealth that's being created will need to be managed. So um, kind of hence the, the uh, urgency there. But I specifically within the firm am our head of community. So interacting with the advisors in the space, whether they're at the beginning of their crypto journey, whether they're skeptics, whether they're down the rabbit hole, just that whole demographic and um, just trying to match them with, you know, other folks who are doing the same thing as them right now, trying to wrap their head around this space, which is a lot in itself. And that ties into the other part of my role, which is VP of operations at OnRamp Academy. As you said, we lead with education. Um, education never goes into a bear market, as we like to say. So um, all, all financial advisors, especially where, we, where we're at right now, most are probably towards the beginning of their journey with crypto. So we want to have the resources for them. And these, um, what we do specifically at OnRamp Academy is not just what is a blockchain or what is Bitcoin. It is what do advisors need to know about crypto estate planning? What do they need to know about the different custodians and exchanges? It's really just specific to your practice and your role. Mm -hmm. So that's the extra step we take. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun to build out, but we're just, we're probably about 5% through the things we want to do. And the space is growing like crazy, but it's been, it's been such a great experience so far. Yeah. And there's, I mean, you guys have been killing it with all the content, all the research, everything for advisors. Like it's made our lives a whole lot easier. And there's just, there's so much stuff to keep up with in crypto. Um, but I kind of want to stay on your career path for a quick second um, and just kind of 
talk through like how you how you came out of college and maybe start building your brand on Twitter. And then that kind of just led to more and more things, which eventually led to you getting that very first role at OnRamp. Um, so I think just like kind of with our listeners, mostly in the younger generation that we don't know what the future of work is going to look like. And I can personally attest that just like applying to Indeed or applying to jobs on Indeed just doesn't really work too well. Um, so I'd like to just hear a little bit more about your experience with building a personal brand and just kind of everything that's came from that. And sure. Also, how old are you too? Because I, I think you're, what, you're like 23 or 24. Cause I think we get told all the time how young we are and how everybody's like, we wish we would be where you were at at our age, but you're like farther ahead than us, even at a younger age too, which is pretty impressive. Well, thank you. I, I'm 23, but I will say for the, for the age thing, we're all running our own race here too. Right. So it's, it's easy to sort of compare on an, an age basis, what people are doing, but you know, keep it all relative. Um, and where I started with everything Twitter, uh, I started on that in college. I went to St. Bonaventure university, upstate New York, little school. Good basketball uh, school. Sorry. It's a good basketball school. It is. I know. I, I love, I was at every single game for three years. It was the best. <laughs> um, awesome. But I, I went to Bonaventure for finance and was, um, you know, did all of the more nerdy things. I was in our investment club. I was involved in the finance department and had a professor who's on Twitter. Shout out to Jim Mahar. Uh, still, still <laughs> close with him, but he had actually brought up finance Twitter to me. I had the Twitter app, but I never used it. And he knew that I loved it. Network. I that was always a, a huge strong suit of mine. I love meeting people. I love you know learning about what makes them tick, learning about what they do. So he had recommended I started participating in this whole finance Twitter thing, and I had no idea what he was talking about at the time. But it's taken a, a life of its own ever since, and that is actually how I got my job at OnRamp. But before that. I actually started out my career as a wholesaler, the dreaded wholesaler that many advisors don't want to talk to, but started out in sales, selling ETFs, selling mutual funds um, for, for a global asset manager. And when I moved to Chicago for my job, I had reached out to some folks on Twitter to see if there was anyone in Chicago from that, you know, FinTwit group. And they ended up uh, being dozens of people, uh, from finance Twitter in Chicago, they threw me a happy hour, which was like the nicest welcome ever, just a great group of people. And it, it just went crazy from there, from all of the people that I've met online and just really started getting involved in it, posting my thoughts and just building a community around myself from that group of people. And that's how I got my job with OnRamp. I was pretty, pretty unhappy in my sales job. I was looking around for quite a while for the right opportunity. And I knew Tyrone from Twitter, we had been DMing and I just figured, you know, shoot is shoot, right? So I mentioned, hey, I love what you're doing at OnRamp. If you happen to ever be expanding the team, let me know. And he said, you're hired. What do you want to do? Two hours <laughs> later, we did a FaceTime and it was done. So that was probably the craziest application process, if you can even call it that. But all of the opportunities I've had since have been incredible. And so many of those have been large in part due to Twitter. Yeah, I think this is huge because I've always said that the personal, your personal brand is your new resume. Like, I think I, I went to Butler. Butler's a great school. Every school preaches about your resume, but like your resume, if you don't really know anybody and know, and anybody doesn't know you, you don't really have a good chance of getting most jobs. What Twitter and social media creation does is it lets people actually know who you are. You can show you're a hard worker. You can show you're educated. You learn. You can show everything that an employer would want 
simply by creating content around it. And the best ones never search for a job. No. And it's like, which what, what I kind of found from the last job I worked at, um, which was in finance, um, is that the jobs that they post online are like the very last thing that they do. Like first they go for internal hires and then referrals and things like that. And then whatever they post on indeed is just things that they couldn't hire for. And I, I just think it's so cool that you just see so many opportunities on Twitter just all day long. Like I'll see freelance writing roles pop up like three, four times a day. And I'll send those to other writers that I know and just things like that. And I think, I think there's just so much opportunity on Twitter in general. Like I came from a town of like a thousand people and now I have more followers on Twitter than are in my whole hometown. And that was just like the craziest thing. Um, but I could, I could talk about brand all day long and we might have another episode in the future all around that, but um, to dive a little bit into the crypto education, um, I'm curious just to hear your thoughts about why education is so important, especially in the crypto space. Like there's there's a lot out there and it's not just as easy as I mean, it could be just like downloading, downloading an app, buying some crypto. But to like truly understand it, and like have conviction behind what you're doing, I feel like education is important. So just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts around that. Yeah. And education's everything. Right. So I. I think it's really important in crypto right now because it's that shiny object that everyone is looking at. It's in the news. It's on social media everywhere. You literally can't get away from it. And for most of us, if you're not working in it or if you weren't buying crypto five years ago, like a lot of the people who are super early, it sounds really foreign to you, but you think that you're missing out. And that's why we need to get people the proper resources to get educated, especially talking about who we focus with at OnRamp with the financial advisory space. This was a retail driven trend and has continued to be And the market surged, but it's been led by retail investors. And that's anyone like you and I just kind of trading our own account. It's um, people learning on their own. There's tons of resources and projects going on, but from a you know, a professional standpoint, a lot of advisors, wealth managers feel behind and rightfully so because the space has grown ridiculously fast as we've seen. And with that comes a lot of misconceptions, a lot of false information. And as you guys probably know from social media, it's very, very rare for people to actually stop and fact check before they, uh, you know, start reading all of this information and taking it in. And since crypto is such a hot topic right now, it's, hard to avoid and hard to keep up with all of it. And it's hard to find a good source of information as well. Right. So, um, that's kind of what we're doing with on-ramp Academy, just because advisors need that trusted guide in the space specific to what they're doing, but more generally we could all use the education right now because it's hard to escape and it's only going to become a more prominent part of our financial system of our world. Everything is going towards digital. Why wouldn't our finances as well? That's kind of my pitch on this entire ecosystem is that this, this is the p- way that the puck is going. And it's something that we should be trying to learn about as it's growing and not 10 years after the fact. No one wants to be that behind on something that is so, so important or will become important. And I'm clearly biased with the space that I work in, but it's, it's very hard to keep up with. And the longer that you wait, the harder it is to catch up, it seems. Yeah, I, I feel like you made a lot of good points there. But the one the one I want to highlight is like that the puck is going towards a digital first world because I mean you can just see the actual data and the trends of like 
I can't remember what the exact number was, but it was like 80% of people from 12 to 17 are on Roblox or it was something super high, like definitely in the majority. And it's like, if you don't think every generation after them is going to grow up in a digital first environment, like that's, that's just, that's just insane to me. And just kind of like reinforces all my beliefs of going towards that digital first thing. And like, with education, um, I feel like one of the best ways is to just kind of learn by doing. Like you can read a lot of blogs and read a lot of stuff about it, but you don't like truly learn until it's your money on the line, which is why it's recommended to only play around with money that you can afford to lose. Um, But what were you gonna add to that, Thomas? I was just gonna say, I think that the, the education point is so important here because like in the world that we live in, we talk about digital, we talk about Twitter, we talk about everything, like confirmation bias is huge. And so when we look in the crypto world and how things change, even just like today, like you wake up, you see the morning, everybody on crypto Twitter that is anti-crypto is, see, look, I told you it's going down. This isn't the real world anymore. Like Bitcoin's not a store of value. It's down 8% today, et cetera. And so like, if you aren't educated on what you're investing in, you go buy Bitcoin, you see the price go up, you see today happen, you go read all of these financial people on Twitter. And now all of a sudden you're like, wait, no, Bitcoin was wrong. Maybe it was just good for last year because inflation was high. All of a sudden now interest rates are going to go up. We think inflation is going to go down. Uh, Bitcoin's not even that good play. But I I think that most investors, retail investors at least, are trying to go long-term on stocks. So we believe in, we buy Apple because we believe Apple is going to have you know the best technology, the best phones, and people love them. Great. We're going to hold on long-term. Apple going down over a week period of time is more seen as like, oh, the market's going down. People don't think as much there. But then we go to crypto, none of us have any idea truly of what's going to be that final one, if there is one, or the, the 10 that are going to be really big. And so every price move and every time we see somebody talk about it on Twitter, the opposing viewpoint or the confirmation to us we just run farther in one way, which makes it so hard if we're not led with the education and a belief system, other than I think Bitcoin's the one that's going to exist. And then price movements change my opinion. It's it's so polarizing. And I think that's part of the biggest problem. And it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. And I'll, I can explain there, right? Because it's it's good. It gets people talking, which I think is a net positive, right? We're, we're remaining, um, you know, in the conversation. We're trying to learn more, hopefully. And it's also a negative, right? Because there's that spread of false information, which is definitely detrimental to people who don't know any better about where to get the information or how to separate false information from the accurate stuff. Um, and I think the it's it's a lot to to follow right now too with the the volatility of the, of the different crypto assets and kind of figuring out how to wrap your head around that. And if you compare it to the traditional world. You know, there are a lot of similarities between the two spaces, but um, to to your earlier points about learning about the space and there's so much to learn. I mean, there's a whole different underlying technological infrastructure, too. And I think we like to make things more complicated than we have to when we're trying to learn about new things. And we try to swallow the elephant whole when you really need to do it one bite at a time. And that that's definitely been a challenge with educating people. And and to your point, Trayton, like on the you know, experiential learning, I couldn't agree more that that's the best way to be doing this. Um, Definitely try to get a baseline understanding at first, right, of the different players in the space, operationally, how it works. Um, But nothing teaches you better than actually getting your hands dirty and getting involved. So um, definitely use small dollar amounts, right? Like don't be betting the farm on all of this when you're not entirely sure how it works. But 
the process of opening a wallet, working with these different crypto custodians, weighing your options, just playing around in the space to see what's possible is a lot more impactful, I think, than just kind of cracking open a book. And there's only so much that you can learn that way. Yeah. And I feel like, which I haven't, I think I read part of crypto assets, but it's like even books written, the space moves so fast. I don't know if an NFT book written last year would even be completely up to date now. Um, but I was, I've kind of been thinking about just like the best way to educate people on the, just on the topic of digital assets. Um, but like you were saying, like, it's easy to get just deep into the weeds and like make it way more complicated than we need to um and like one comparison i kind of came up with um like blockchain for example like i would guess that 99 percent of people don't know what amazon web services is or how that works or how google works but everyone uses it every day and that tech just kind of like exists in the background and makes everything work but we don't really care about how it works like is that kind of how you see like the the environment of crypto and blockchain like yeah it's there it's kind of complicated and it helps to know but you don't really need to know everything about blockchain and hash rates and all this stuff to be able to comfortably invest money into it absolutely and i think to your point i i compare it to you could compare it to a lot of things but especially with the internet right there are baseline things you need to know to be able to use it and to interact with it. And unless you are, say, a software engineer that's working on the back end, working with code, there's you don't need to know much, logistically speaking, on the back end of what goes into it. And you're not going to stay up at night, hopefully um, at this point, but you're not going to stay up at night every night wondering about the code and wondering if they're, you know, wondering about the back end of it every step of the way. Crypto is very early. Blockchain technology, you know, been since 2008, really, that this is all kind of started growing. But and so it's still very early, to say the least, as we always like to throw out there on social media. But there's only so much that we need to get into the weeds on. And if you're someone that likes to do that due diligence and go really, really down the rabbit hole into the code, into the back end, then that's great. But I think it's really important when we're educating people to not overwhelm them. And that's one of the easiest things that we can do is overwhelming people with information. So if you start talking about hash rates, the having, if you start talking about all of these things up front, people's minds are going to explode. And I'll say this, um, I, I present to advisors on blockchain 101 sort of um, materials. And the first thing I start with is that we try so hard to make this stuff very complicated where the basics of it are quite simple. Like the, the founding principles of what this technology is supposed to do is pretty basic. And we overcomplicate it by trying to get into the, well, actually, what do I need to know about this you know, open source code and this different provision to it and that sort of thing that most people wouldn't otherwise ask. Um, and it's good to be curious. It's good to have healthy skepticism. But at some point, it's it's kind of a moot point to be going that far in and confusing yourself further. And that's not to say that certain people don't, you know, they, they learn better that way. We all learn a little bit differently. So it's good to know yourself. But um, this is already too much of an information overload in this space for you to go down that rabbit hole and confuse yourself further. It's just a recipe for disaster. And it's going to take 30 times as long for you to learn about the space. 
a hundred percent. It would be like, it would almost be like getting, like trying to go get an MBA and like study economic theory before you put any money into the stock market or anything like that. Like, yeah, it would definitely help, but it's not a hundred percent needed to get started. Um, but I was, I was just kind of curious one, if OnRamp has any, um, like consumer education, like attached to Academy and then like if not, like, how should someone even approach learning about it? Like, do you guys have any like trusted places that you generally send people or a framework for like how to start finding anything like that? Yeah, definitely. And so for OnRamp right now, um, you know, building one thing at a time, we are focused on the RIA community and getting advisors up to speed. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing with crypto education right now is if you Google information, again, information overload, there's tons of resources out there from a retail perspective. And we're trying to bring that advisory lens to the space. And that's not something that's otherwise been created at scale. So that's our focus right now. That being said, I'm, I'm a big proponent of making sure advisors have the resources that they can pass on to their clients. And mm -hmm. that's going to be something that I'd like to have, you know, at least something there um, to provide you all with for your clients um, at the end of the day. In terms of other resources, uh, Crypto Assets by Chris, Bern uh, Chris Berninski and Jack Tater, great book. It's, as you said, right, the space is growing so quickly that it's hard to find books that totally encompass it. But that is a very, very strong choice, at least for the basics in a way that makes a lot of sense to most people, or at least should. Um, mm -hmm. If you prefer videos, um, and uh, and I might botch this name, uh, Andreas Antonopoulos is probably the best person I've ever found to explain things in a way that is not confusing, especially the basics. And he has tons of free YouTube videos. So I encourage people to check those out. Um, tons of different podcasts in the space. If you get a little further down the rabbit hole, the Bankless podcast is fantastic. Mm. Um, that's one of my personal favorites. And um, of course, you know, OnRamp is partnered with Gemini and they're more retail facing with their materials. They have a Cryptopedia. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big believer in understanding all of the jargon because nothing else that you're reading will make sense until you at least partially do. So they have a sort of crypto dictionary that's retail friendly and they have a ton of other free sources as well. So I, I would encourage that too. But there's, there's a ton of them out there. There's just a few of them. For sure. And I, I listened to the, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bankless and I listened to the, the two hour, I think it was called the end game. It was with Vitalik, the Ethereum founder, co-founder, and that got so far deep into the weeds. I was like, I mean, I spent most of 2020, like getting educated around the space and I didn't even know what they were talking about. Like half the time it was insane. So it's definitely easy to get lost in the weeds really quick. And like, if you, like, if you just Googled something like, what is Bitcoin or is Bitcoin the future? Like you're going to find so many slanted and biased articles, like from media places, from people who have an incentive to maybe drive up the price of that crypto. Um, so I think it's important to take what you're reading sometimes with a grain of salt and like make sure that it's coming from a trusted source and that you potentially understand their incentives behind giving that piece of advice. Um, but yeah, there's, there's kind of this is a little bit on the education side, but more on one thing that we haven't really talked about at all is like the consumer or the retail investors journey into crypto. 
And um, I think this is something that we interesting to talk about because I was listening to another podcast and they almost like equated Bitcoin or Ethereum kind of as like the gateway drug. And so like, you know, you talk about drugs and you start with alcohol and you, you work your way down. Well, that's kind of like the tunnel that you go down with crypto. So you start Bitcoin mostly now, now more people are, could go Ethereum, but previously it was that route. Then you start to learn about that. Then you move to Ethereum. You kind of start to learn about Ethereum. And now this is, you know, different. It's not necessarily sound money. It's more of what you can build on there and all these other use cases. And then you start to think of Solana and Cardano. And then you go like farther down the rabbit hole. Like, can you maybe shed a little bit of light on what you've seen on that? Because I think this goes back to like the educate before you allocate, but also almost at the same time. Like I think for crypto, it really is like, I want to learn about this. Let's put some money into it. I got the money there. Now I learn, I go down the rabbit hole and then I start to evolve and diversify into other different technologies. Yeah. So I think the, the sort of gateway drug initially, and I can get into how it's changed and how it's going to continue changing was Bitcoin. And if anyone ever asks me, where should I start? I will always say, start with Bitcoin. That is where everything began. If you understand Bitcoin and having a, a strong base there, then you can get into the other altcoins, get into Ether, learning about all these different DeFi projects and, and whatnot, um, because there's so many different places to start. I think you might as well start with where it all came from, in my opinion. That being said, things are changing super quickly. And when we think about retail investors and where their points of entry are into the space, um, it's going to be much different than that. It's probably not going to be just buying Bitcoin anymore. It will be the NFT market. That's going to be huge. And it already is. Um, that's going to be something that gets a lot of people into the space who otherwise may not have been interested. And then another huge one that I like to harp on is DeFi gaming, play to earn gaming. Um, that's grown in other areas around the world a bit more quickly than the US, uh, namely the Philippines. But that's going to be a huge point of entry for people because it opens up the floodgates for earning real income anywhere with internet connection. So it's from that standpoint, it's, it's going to, I think, play a really important role in society moving forward because there's already a huge gamer population around the world. And DeFi gaming allows anyone, again, with internet, with a device that can access the internet to play games that they otherwise may have played and earn income as they go. So when you're in countries or in areas of the world that may not have those income opportunities, this is, this is like a saving grace for you, right? Because you can pull out your phone and you can earn income that way. You don't need to go to an employer and fill out a resume. You're making it as you play these games. So there's a lot of opportunity there. I think that in the grand, grander scheme of things, as the space continues to grow, there's more developments that that's going to be a greater and greater point of entry for people. And the NFT marketplace is sort of looped into that, that play to earn DeFi gaming um, scope mm -hmm. as well. So I think those two areas are the more non-traditional routes for people to get involved, but we kind of have to meet them where they're at. And if NFTs is the first way you learned about crypto, well, we're going to have to back up and maybe teach you a little bit more about the blockchain and Bitcoin and more of the basics because that's not where they came from. And although the experience that you get from purchasing NFTs or minting them and selling them is super beneficial, there's still going to be other ground to cover in the space too. Yeah. Can you real quick expand on the gaming side? Because I think most people haven't even heard of this side of, of it. And they, I don't think most people even understand how or why you would even earn anything from the gaming. Sure. What are so, like, the use cases? Like, what are we going to see? Yeah. So 
it's, it's growing like a weed. And I think that we're going to see a lot of different types of DeFi gaming and whatnot, but, um, to start. So at its core, people love to play games. People, I, you know, I had my Xbox live membership and was playing call of duty and playing FIFA against strangers online when I was probably 14, but this is a different way of doing that. Right. And it's online, it's on digital native. So it's on the internet, it's through blockchain technology. So again, there's that whole transparency, public availability, easily, easily accessible sort of perspective to it. But where it really changes things is what people were already doing with playing games online and spending their time on the internet constantly was providing a way for you to earn rewards that equate to actual earnings of crypto assets while you play. It's not just an in-game token that doesn't have any real world value. It's not you taking money from the real world and buying characters and um, different tools in your games that don't actually have any real world value, um, value, so to speak. It's allowing people to literally earn crypto assets, whether it's, you know, I don't, it could be um, there are a lot of different crypto gaming tokens, but Axie Infinity is the biggest crypto gaming um, site right now. Um, so if you earn Axies on the game, those are on the blockchain. Your ownership is recorded in a real wallet and they're an actual currency. They have a value um, or they're a real crypto asset and they can be traded in the marketplace. They can be sold and you can acquire actual assets that go into your bank account. So it's a way for people to earn money from what they otherwise would have been doing. And it ties into the NFT marketplace as well, not to get too into it, like logistically speaking, but Axie Infinity, for example, you can buy plots of land on the game and some of them being more valuable than others. The, the assets that you own in the game, whether it's different characters, tools that your characters have, plots of land in the game, they're all NFTs on the blockchain that can also be bought and sold in the marketplace from other people who are playing the game or not. And it's in their wallet. Again, if you sell a plot of land from Axie Infinity, the earnings go back into your wallet in the form of crypto. So that can be liquidated and you can have that as a source of income or gain, so to speak. And to put it in perspective, a plot of land on Axie Infinity last year sold for $2 million. So the market's hot. Um, and it's similar to, to NFT marketplace generally where, you know, you see these crazy numbers that things are being sold for, but it's just from the, the high demand and participation in the space right now, it's a lot of people are getting involved in it and they perceive value in those assets. So it's just another way to interact with this whole DeFi economy and make money while you're doing it. Yeah. And again, here, I think that the big thing is a lot of people are going to hear this and be like, that's so stupid. But again, like if you aren't somebody that plays video games and spends money on video games, it's going to sound stupid to you. Would you go spend $70 on FIFA either? You probably wouldn't. But if we even go to today, like there in Fortnite, there are skins that were released one time that are like, if you own it could be worth, you know, hundred thousand dollars. And I think that's just, people need to understand that every, it doesn't have to apply to you and you don't have to want to do it for it to have a use case and still be something that could be successful long-term. Yeah. I, I, I personally spent way too much money on Fortnite skins in college. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think you made a good point when, when talking about kind of like on a global scale, because I think just a lot of people, I mean, most people in America have a normal bank account. They can send money to whoever just fine. And it's like, Oh, well, what, what is, what is this actually solving? Like, this isn't relevant. This doesn't matter to me, but it's like, you have to take a step back and like, 
almost just like approach it with empathy. Like, yeah, this is a lot bigger than just your day-to-day life. And we kind of hit on that. Um, I think it was in the last episode with Akeen and Adam. Um, but like, even, even with the gaming, like Farmville, imagine if that thing was like a DeFi based game and people were still like genuinely earning money on that from, from a Facebook game. Like, I feel like that's going to kind of be the same environment of crypto games. Like there's going to be little communities and people are just having fun. And instead of just earning coins on a screen, you're actually earning assets that you can use in your real life. And I just, I think that's the coolest thing. And I'm, I'm personally like really excited for everything happening in crypto gaming for sure. Yeah. And I think the global perspective is something that we lose pretty often, right? You know, if we've never had to worry about it, it's something we often don't think about. And from a global perspective, I'm sure Keen and and Adam in their episode talked about, you know, just the democratization of finance and that what crypto provides from that perspective is absolutely huge. And you may never have had to worry about not getting access to a bank account or not having a bank branch to walk into, but that doesn't make the technology any less valuable on a global scale. And DeFi gaming, this play to earn is the same way. You may wonder, well, why would I need to earn income from video games? Well, if you are, and to put it in perspective, um, don't have the exact number, it's between 30 and 40%, I believe right now of this play to earn um, gaming market is from the Philippines with like market share in terms of participation. And if you think about being in more remote areas or being in areas with less opportunities for income and you're struggling and you have access to internet or maybe have a cell phone because that's kind of more more and more common these days, right? If you have access to that and you're not sure where else to turn, this is so huge for you because even if you can't go out and find a job or you're getting Um, denied for bank loans or getting um, declined for mortgages, whatever the reason is really, this is just opening up the floodgates for, for something that does not need this formalized financial system approval. And you're still getting the income that you need in one way or another. And when you're at that point where all you need is income and you're just struggling to figure out where to get it from, you're not going to care that it's coming from gaming. You're going to care that you're making money. So and it's, it's in a legal way, right? It's not anything malicious. You're playing games that are online and it's, it's just this, where the space is going. And, you know, people in those positions who don't have as many opportunities afforded to them are going to capitalize on that if they can. So I think it's super important for that global perspective. And we should think about it more because a lot of us have been in a position where we've never had to think about it that way, but it doesn't make it any less important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think you made a good point with like everything around crypto. Like I think a lot of people have just kind of like a negative connotation towards it with, I don't know if they knew it was from Silk Road, but just like with everything that happened with that, everyone thinks it's, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's just money laundering, all that sort of stuff. But like when you truly get educated and like learn about the asset classes and everything, like it's so much more than that. And it, I feel like everything really comes down to money is just an exchange of value and humans are going to innovate in the best ways possible to make that as efficient as possible. And when you look at just kind of like the way the world's heading of being kind of a global economy and just being borderless, fiat doesn't really make that transfer of value very easy and digital currency makes it a lot easier. So I'm not, I'm not going to, go down that rabbit hole right now. Um, But just want to see if there's anything else you wanted to hit on before we wrapped up here. Yeah. I mean, to your point on versus, uh, you know, crypto assets versus fiat, try transferring money to someone in another country and having it 
one, be cheap, be efficient. We don't even have a real-time payment system in this country, as Tyrone always always mentions to people. And if I try sending crypto to you from my wallet to yours, it's it's done in a matter of seconds, which is incredible. And we don't think about that often, but the way that that could revolutionize how we do business, how we interact with others financially is, is huge. And, you know, we do like to put things in these boxes where, you know, Silk Road did happen. That was very early on in the evolution of crypto when it was not popular. It was a way to transfer value in a way that most people didn't understand yet. And, you know, that was obviously at the end of, end of the day caught and it was shut down. And it's unfortunate that that, um, that situation has been what mo- a lot of people cast over the entire crypto space when they're thinking about it, if they haven't learned more. But it's, it's evolved so quickly. And if you think about it versus fiat and, you know, the different things that are done with cash that we can't track, um, for example, it's, they always say history doesn't repeat and it often rhymes that that could not be more true for a lot of these different situations that people try to paint as doomsday situations in crypto land, um, versus what we've seen on the traditional side. A lot of this as new as the technology is, um, humans are humans, and there's going to be a lot of repetition in terms of behavior and how we, um, you know, interact and respond to these things. And that is not new. Yeah, no, I think those are really good points. I mean, to wrap up, what what advice would you give to like you know the retail investor who wants to start to get into that space? So I think that's really who our audience is, and this is the last episode of the series. So I think a really good way to wrap it up is just you know, maybe some actionable tips that you would have for people to kind of get their feet wet. Have an open mind, go into it that way. Nothing's worth learning if you're shut off from it mentally and already have these biases in your head that kind of keep you from seeing things as they, as they really are. So that's my big, my biggest thing. There's a lot of, a lot of information floating around around crypto and it's hard to have an objective view about things, but just try. Um, After that, I would say, If you don't know where to start, if you're not in on the gaming, if you're not in the NFT market, start with Bitcoin. It's the easiest place to start. It's, you know, learn the basics of what you can about blockchain and different applications of crypto from that and go from there because it's very, very easy to get caught up in the hype of every new thing that's being touted on social media daily. There's something new every hour, it seems like. So just stay true to that North Star that is Bitcoin. And from there, you can go into the cooler projects and different altcoins and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome advice and an awesome way to wrap up the series. So Caitlin, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, And thanks everybody for listening to the series. This has been our by far most popular episodes. So thank you. And we'll continue to create more content for you guys coming up. And don't forget to follow Caitlin. She's a great follow on Twitter. Thank you. Thanks for having me.